0: God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So Psalm 46 begins with, God is our refuge. Robin and I have three children, Rochelle, Meriwether, and Aaron, in that order. Our son Aaron, the youngest, came along about five years after Meriwether. And when he was young, he tended to take the easy road when it came to pronouncing words. He called Rochelle... Shell, which made sense, right? And it stuck. We still call her Shell today. Pretty standard, right? He had a harder time with Meriwether, though. He didn't call her Mare or Meriweta. Now, Aaron decided to call her T. We never quite figured that one out, but, you know, that was Aaron. So when Aaron was about five years old, he started to assert himself. He was figuring out that he was different from his sisters and his mom, and I guess he felt the need to establish who was really in charge. So one cold winter's night when it was time for bed, he decided he didn't want to follow the rules that we as parents had laid out regarding bedtime. I remember him sticking his little chest out and telling me that he no longer had to follow the house rules. I informed him that Robin and I were his parents and responsible to raise him until such time as he was old enough to make it out in the world on his own. I further told him that when he felt he was ready, he could leave my house and not be responsible for following my direction any longer. I'm ready right now, he stated. I mean, I can make my own CEO. Now, another word that he had a difficult time with was cereal. He called it CEO. And because he knew how to pour milk into his bowl, he thought he was ready to leave the house. So I packed his little boy's suitcase with all the things he thought he needed to include his all-important Spider-Man mask, He didn't want a lot of clothes, took his toothbrush reluctantly and we put his little coat on him and we walked him to the driveway and we all waved goodbye to him and he proceeded down the driveway and turned left down the street. After he was out of sight, I ran down and hid behind the bushes to watch. He stopped after a while, looked around at the darkness, snow was falling, it was cold, It was dark, kind of scary. And after contemplating things for a while, he turned around and started coming back. So I ran back to the front porch, and as he turned into the driveway, I said, Hey, what are you doing in my driveway? And he told me that he had decided to come back home and follow my rules. He agreed that it was my house and my rules, and he would follow them. I guess he thought our home was a better refuge after all. And after that, we never had a problem with Aaron wanting to leave. In fact, he liked it so much at our home that it eventually took no small effort on our part to get him to leave, to get out of our house and make his own way. So, while that's a funny story from my family history, How often are we guilty of doing the same thing? Popping our chest out at God, telling him we don't like his rules, and we don't need him because, you know, we can make our own CEO. And then we find ourselves in a cold, dark world without that refuge that we had taken for granted. So let's go back to my original question this morning. What do you fear? Our text in verse 1 starts with the statement that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. If you are a believer this morning, this is a fact. It's not an opinion, not a fuzzy feel-good hominy, but a fact. It goes on with the connecting word, therefore. Therefore. Remember what we do when we see that word in Scripture? We ask, what is it there for? Verses 2 and 3 go on to describe the worst things that we could possibly experience on this earth. I mean, look at verse 2 and 3 again. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. So let's pause and think. Whatever it is that you fear or are distressed by this morning, how does that compare to what we see in verses 2 and 3? Probably a lot less than that, right? So how are you doing at going to God for your refuge and strength? Or do you tend like I do to rely on yourself and your own strength instead. What does it mean in practical terms to turn to God for our refuge and our strength? Do we go to him first or only after totally exhausting ourselves with our own efforts or opinions or causes? Corrie ten Boom, that great woman of faith who was a prisoner of war for hiding Jews in World War II, had a phrase that we would do well to remember. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Verse 1 also says, God is a very present help in time of trouble. That means now, today. Have you ever called out to God when you were up against a wall and you had nowhere else to turn? I have several times in my life, sometimes audibly when no one else was there to hear me. And you know what? God was there. He answered. He rescued me. Sometimes he rescued me from my own folly. And sometimes because I simply had run out of ideas and finally after my best efforts had utterly failed, I finally turned to him. And he always answered. He always came through. Again, I ask you, what do you fear this morning? Will you continue to try your own efforts or perhaps worry yourself into despair? Or will you, will you turn to him? He is a very present help in trouble. That means now. Are you looking at the world? Are you looking within yourself? Look to God. God is present right now in your life. And we'll talk about this next. Moving on in our text to verses 4 through 7. Let me read those again. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Sila. Do you sometimes ask, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this suffering? Where is God in the midst of terrorism and untimely deaths, and failure, and disappointment. Perhaps you've entertained the thought, if I was God, here's what I'd do. As we journey through life, we learn that God's ways are not our own. We learn he has a plan that is often very different from ours. And sometimes he allows us to see the end of some of those plans as they touch our lives. And we see how great, how wonderful his plan was compared to our own idea of the ultimate best solution. God showers us with the goodness, the rightness, the perfection of his plan, and we become so overwhelmed, all we can do is praise him despite the seemingly overwhelming circumstances we sometimes find ourselves in, our text says that God is in the midst of the river that runs through it all. As we get embroiled in the churn of this life, are we looking for the river? What has captured our gaze? Are we getting distressed, depressed, or are we at rest. God is in control. Look at verse 6 at what happens when the world throws its worst at us. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Wow. That kind of puts an end to things right there, doesn't it? It goes on to emphasize again that He is with us. He is our refuge. He is with us in the midst of this turmoil. Despite the forces arrayed against us, He rules. Spurgeon says in his commentary on this verse the following This is the reason for all Zion's security and for the overthrow of her foes. The Lord rules all the angels, the stars, the elements. And all the host of heaven and the heaven of heavens are under his sway. The armies of men, though they know it not, are made to subserve his will. This generalissimo of the forces of the land and the Lord High Admiral of the seas is on our side, our august ally. Woe unto those who fight against him. For they shall fly like smoke before the wind when he gives the word to scatter them. Like smoke before the wind. Isn't that a great phrase? Verse 7 tells us again that the Lord is with us, that the God of Jacob is our refuge. And then, Selah. What do you think about that? Finally, we come to the last section of Psalm 46, verses 8 and 9. Those verses tell us to view the works of the Lord. As we contemplate both the desolation he has wrought and the ending of wars upon the earth. The history of the wars fought in Israel, which we read about in the Old Testament, are filled with the wonders that God brought on behalf of his people. The walls of Jericho, They just fell down after the Israelites were obedient to his direction to march around the wall seven times. A good example of God making things happen, isn't it? In history, it has been said, is written by the victors who often put their own spin on things to make their case be viewed in a more favorable light. And I'm sure there's some truth to that. But as we look at this country's history, even world history, do we look at it merely from the perspective of the author only? Or do we sit back and see the hand of God in the midst? God's purposes may well be above those on one side or the other. Do we look for evidence that supports our theory only? Something to think about. I really love verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. What does that mean for us when we read be still? Be still and know that I am God. For me, it often means to stop trying to be God in my life. A good friend of mine is a retired police officer out in Garden Grove, California. His name is Bob Bowers. Now, Bob's a lot taller than I am, and since we share the first name, I always refer to him as Big Bob, so there will be no confusion. We went to the same church, and we've been friends for over 30 years. And I went on a couple of patrols with him, back then when he was on duty in Garden Grove. And he showed me where the guns were and how to use them if we found ourselves in an extreme situation. And during the ride along, you know, at every call, we'd pull into the location where the call was and I'd look at Bob and I'd say, hey, Bob, do you want me to bring the heat? And he'd say, no, Bob, leave it in the patrol car. But hey, I was willing, you know. Now, Garden Grove, California, is a much more, shall we say, exciting environment for law enforcement than Stafford, Virginia. And Bob regularly ran into some bad situations while he was in uniform. And he struggled with how to better integrate his faith, not only into his profession, but because of the dangerous situations he found himself in every day, he wanted not only daily, not only hourly but minute-by-minute confirmation of the Lord's presence. He wanted to feel the Lord's presence with him at all times, especially when he was in danger. Our pastor encouraged him to use God's Word for both protection and as a weapon. Scripture tells us to do that in Ephesians chapter 6. So Big Bob chose Psalm 46.10, as his life verse and focused on it while he was out crushing crime. So let me share a story to illustrate what happened one day from an article that my friend Bob later wrote. Here it is in Bob's own words. So, I added my life verse to my equipment list. I carried it daily. I practiced it. I lived it. I wrote that verse on my heart on my soul, and in my mind. And he was faithful. He let me be still. And he was exalted. I can illustrate this best with a cop story. I had the pleasure to serve on our Special Weapons and Tactics Team, or SWAT, a part-time assignment for eight years. We served all the high-risk warrants and caught the serious bad guys. We received special training and equipment, to capture the worst of society. To fully understand this, you need to know the difference between a knock and a no knock warrant. To serve a search warrant, often issued for the arrest of a suspected criminal, the standard warrant, a knock warrant, requires the officers to line up outside the door, knock loudly, and demand entry into the house. The law states the suspected criminal must be given the opportunity to open the door and allow the officers to enter. But in extreme cases, judges issued no-knock warrants that allowed us to literally sneak into someone's home and capture them before they could react violently. One drug dealer was known to carry two handguns on him at all times. He bragged that he'd shoot it out with anyone who ever tried to stop him. We were granted a no-knock night service warrant. The entire team made covert entry into the drug dealer's home. My partner and I snuck into the suspect's bedroom without waking him. When he woke up, he woke up with my carbine and my partner's shotgun literally touching his nose. He was sleeping with both his guns on him under his blankets. He complied, and we took him into custody. A win for the good guys, and he lived to face prosecution. But in a separate case, we were assigned the apprehension of a gang member armorer whose specialty was converting semi-automatic AK-47s into fully automatic machine guns. He certainly had access to serious weapons and was not afraid to use them. Our request for a no-knock warrant was denied. Additionally, we were denied night service, so we had to serve the warrant in daylight. We'd have to knock on the door, wait at least 20 to 30 seconds for compliance, then force open the door and rush in. This gave the tactical advantage squarely to the criminal. If he chose to shoot it out, he'd get several of us going through the door, particularly with a fully automatic AK. These raids were planned out extensively. Floor diagrams were used, practice runs were conducted. Every possible detail was mapped out. Two officers were assigned to every room inside the house, so no one entered a room alone. John, my partner, and I were assigned the suspect's bedroom. We'd go through the door third and fourth. The first two officers in would take the living room immediately inside the front door. The suspect's bedroom was adjacent to the living room. I'd force the bedroom door first and enter, followed by John. It was a textbook plan. As the plan and preparation developed, the tension and stress built. The guys on the SWAT team were professionals. They were strong, fit, expertly trained, and deadly, but only when necessary. But I saw uncharacteristic stress over this plan that weighed heavily on the team. I saw real fear on faces as we prepped, loaded, and drove to the scene in the command vehicle. Be still and know that I am God, literally flooded my mind. I had a wry smile as I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. As I prepared, my soul was still. I patted a team member on the shoulder, made eye contact, and nodded the, we are okay, look. We arrived a street away from the house, exited the command post, lined up in order, and moved quickly to the house. Number one and number two were in front. John and I were next. The breacher was behind us. Number one and number two posted on opposite sides of the front door, and we all stopped. A loud pounding on the door was followed by police department, search warrant, demand entry, and then a pause to listen. It's all quiet. If the suspect shoots through the front door, it's my job to shoot through the front wall while others would evacuate the downed officers at the front door. Be still and know that I am God. Kept going through my mind. Time slipped into slow motion. Another loud knock. The booming voice demanded entry again. Then, quiet. Breach! As the breacher starts on the door, repeated strikes were unsuccessful. My heart was still, but I know this has taken way too long. Be still and know that I am God. The door crumbled after perhaps 30 seconds of hammering. Number one and number two went in quick. I followed with John on my heels. The bedroom door was right where we expected it. Be still. But he's inside and waiting to shoot us through the door. There is no way anyone could have slept through the announcement and the extended breaching of the stubborn front door. The bedroom door was unlocked. I opened the door and went in first. The bed was right inside the door. The suspect was in bed on his right side, facing away from the door with his hand extended toward the right side nightstand. Everything nearly stopped. My trip around the foot of the bed seemed to take minutes. There was a Colt forty five pistol on the nightstand, inches from his right hand, hammer back, safety on. My eyes track left. There was an AK forty seven in the corner propped up, magazine inserted, safety off. The recoverable detail available during these high stress times can be incredible. The guy was still sleeping after all that. I penetrated into the room and stepped around the end of the bed toward the nightstand. John stopped on the other side of the bed. His submachine gun pointed at the suspect's back. I had my carbine pointed under the suspect's jaw so I could see his right hand, his eyes, and the weapons. I was fighting the tunnel vision. So Bob takes a break here, and he says, Hey, uh, think about all the cop stories that you've seen before, you know and at moments like this what comes out of the cop's mouth right cuz you got all this all this stress and stru- stressing your vocal cords you know and your voice is like three octaves higher than normal and cops you know they they say some kind of uh dumb things sometimes and they they make fun of each other for that right so it's usually something like you know freeze maggot right or or something like that right so so bob says okay uh and at this part of the story i want you to think about that you know That's the situation that they're in right now. So here's where they are. The suspect's eyes met mine. His hand was only inches from his pistol. So here's what Bob says. Be still. He's cool, calm, totally in control. The suspect freezes. His partner, John, slowly pulled back the covers to reveal the suspect's empty left hand. Don't shoot, the suspect said. Be still, I replied. John put him in handcuffs and searched him. And as they're walking out, his partner looks at him and goes, Be still? Where did that come from? And Bob says, I'll tell you about it later. So pretty amazing story, isn't it? Makes you better appreciate the things our police officers go through every day that we don't have a clue about, But more importantly, how God's presence is always there with his children. Despite the danger, despite our fears, he is with us. And don't forget the second half of that verse. He will be exalted among the heathen and in the earth. Now, I'm not sure if the criminal in that story had ever read Psalm 46 before, but he just saw it in action. Bob had the opportunity to share the verse with his partner and how he used it during the job and their debrief as well. I'm sure the other police officers were aware that there was something different about my friend, Big Bob. The important thing with Bob's story to me is that he was a doer of the word. He put it into action. He made it part of his checklist, part of his life. He wrote it on his heart. And when he did that, not only did God come through, but God was exalted, just like his word says. We all need to put God's word in our hearts and meditate on it all the time, especially in those times when we're fearful. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. My son Aaron wisely recognized Our home was a better refuge for him when he was five years old. It's a funny story, but we often act in the same way, thinking we have a better idea or are overconfident in the path we choose. Regardless of how old we are, we often want to go it alone, especially when, and listen to me now, especially when we are fully aware that his word does not advocate Uh, does not advocate the path that we want to run down. God is always near in every situation we find ourselves in. He has a plan. Despite the things you fear today, despite the bleak outlook at times, He has a plan. He is in control, and we need to recognize that and trust in Him rather than ideas that may seem to make more sense to us at the time. Our feelings are not good indicators. Our personal happiness at any given moment is not the ultimate goal. His plan is so much better for us than we can even imagine. Be careful when you find yourself limiting the God of the universe to your own experience. He is much bigger than we can even imagine. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Big Bob wrote Psalm 46:10 on his heart. He meditated on it, he acted on it, and God was not only with him, he was exalted. What are you doing with God's word in light of the things you fear today? Are you looking to him or relying on your own strength or your own understanding or your own feelings? Are you actively looking for the evidence of God's presence in your circumstances and in the midst of dealing with those things that bring fear to your heart? He's there. Do you see him? Are you looking for the river? How much fuller our lives are when we recognize his presence, when we see his hand in the events of our lives, when we know we can cast out all fear because we know who is ultimately in charge of the events of this world and everything above it in the universe and heaven itself. So whatever you are fearful of today, be still. He is God and not us. Rest in what his word is telling us in Psalm 46. Be still. Let go. See his hand at work in your life. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we do have fears. And our fears scale the multitude of things that that happen to all of us as we go through life. and we pray this morning father that we would look to psalm 46 and to your word to find that peace to see the foolishness of trying to be god on our own to, to uh, trying to uh, to slay the dragon on our own because we can't you are the god not only of this earth but of the universe and of the heavens. And you are our fortress. You are our protector. I pray, Father, that we would reflect on these things this morning and as we go through our day and our week and from here on forward, here forward, Father, that we would think of these things, that we would write your word on our heart, that we would go forth with confidence because our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence is in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.